uh, on Zoom. Hey, y'all on Zoom. Peace be with you this morning. Can't see you, but I think you're there. Uh, and I see all of you all, and you're having a wonderful time greeting each other, and that's always such a joyful thing to witness. Hesitate to even come up here, but here I am. Uh, I am, one of the things I'm supposed to do here is preach, so but we're going to get after that here in a second. Um, <coughs> let me, excuse me just a second. Our uh, homily is from, actually it's, it's from the Acts passage um, that Dan read and commented on. I'm going to use some of what he said as a little bit of a springboard. I've kind of mashed those two together, um, the Acts passage and the John passage. I think they have more in common than you might think at first glance. So I'm going to read the John passage here, and then we'll pray and think about it a little bit. From the 10th chapter of the Gospel of John, very truly, I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way, is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved, will come in and go out and find pasture. And the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the word of the Lord, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's people said, thanks be to God. God, we ask that you would open our ears, that we would hear the gospel, that your Holy Spirit be the one who teaches us this morning. We pray that we would have eyes to see Jesus uh, as Jesus really is and that we would come to see the world more and more through Jesus' eyes. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, as I mentioned briefly a second ago, it may seem uh, that our reading from Acts this morning and our reading from the Gospel of John don't have too much in common. But I would suggest that if we look a little bit closer and ponder together for a little bit, uh, that we might discover that the readings have a great deal in common. In John's Gospel, Jesus makes a bold claim that we just read. It's basically this, in so many words, when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, it's basically saying, I am an utterly trustworthy guide, to a life worth living. That's sort of like taking Jesus' words about being the good shepherd and, and um, mapping onto them all of what John has told us so far 
about Jesus' I am statements and about what Jesus claims to do for human beings, what Jesus claims to do for the world. Uh, when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he's saying, I'm an utterly trustworthy guide to a life worth living. Or in the specific language of the Gospel of John, I am the utterly trustworthy guide to living life in all abundance. And I am an utterly trustworthy guide to putting human beings in touch with the God who made the universe. What? Big, right? <laughs> Go big. I mean, that is really big, what Jesus is saying there and claiming. Um, and then in our reading from the Acts of the Apostles this morning, we see an example played out of this life worth living that is vitally connected with God or to God. We see an example of it bursting onto the landscape of this world, bursting into the life of the early church in Jerusalem. And, and we have one amazing snapshot this morning of what it looks like to be put in touch with the God who created everything, the God who is redeeming everything. What happens when lives are shaped by being in, vital, in a vital life-giving relationship with this God, shaped by weekly participation? Dan reminded us of this table. What does it look like? That snapshot that we get in the reading from Acts. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like to follow the Good Shepherd. That's what it looks like in community to follow the Good Shepherd. So this morning we're going to jump back and forth a little bit between these two readings. And along the way, what we hope to have happen is that we'll grow in the knowledge, or at least be reminded and renewed in the knowledge, of what God wants for us as human beings. And then importantly, we want God to enable us to want what God wants for human beings. Because that's the tricky part, right? One thing to understand what God might want for human beings, another thing entirely to, uh, to want to want what God wants for human beings. And this is what's happening in the early church. They are passionately living into what God wants for human beings. They want it to. Um, before we say much more, let's take a moment to think about Jesus' good shepherd remarks in context. This is really important. When you know, th This is one of those um, greeting card uh, passages, right? Together with the call to worship, the 23rd Psalm. You know, John 10, man, that's some sweet language. It works really well. Um, you know, I guess if you go to a, a place where maybe people use Bible verses when they sign yearbooks, you know, I mean, that might be one of the ones that, that pops up. I mean, it's just really lovely language. Uh, but it kind of gets abstracted because of that. And we forget what it is that Jesus is dealing with when he shares those remarks, and we forget the context. And so right before... Jesus' remarks about being the good shepherd, we have, remember in the ninth chapter of John, we have the healing of the man who was born blind. Now, you might have been at church not too long ago when Calvin preached on that passage and made several helpful observations. 
But in case you weren't, let me take just a moment to remind you of what is going on in the scene that comes immediately before our John reading this morning. It is the recounting of Jesus' healing of the man who was blind from birth, as I just mentioned a minute ago. You may recall that, that much of that story centers on the resistance of the religious leadership to recognize the healing as a gift of God. You know, the uncanny thing about this is, the super disturbing thing about this is this, this man who's born blind, he gets healed, and the religious leadership posture is to immediately doubt the veracity of his healing. And because Jesus is involved with it, they're very upset about it. You know, here's this amazing thing, right? This man is born blind. He can see he's really celebrating. Everybody's really celebrating, except for this one group of people who are determined to be opposed to Jesus in principle, no matter what. They're upset. They're very upset by it. They interrogate this poor guy and even interrogate his parents. So much do they not want to deal with even the possibility that Jesus is God's Messiah. Um, here's what corrupt power sounds like when it's challenged by goodness and truth. Here's what corrupt power sounds like when it's challenged by goodness and truth. The religious leadership did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight so they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say that was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents said, we know that this is our son. He was born blind, but we do not know how it is that he now sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of them. For they had already agreed, the religious leadership that is, that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, ask him, he's of age. For the second time they called the man who had been blind. They said, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, I do not know whether he's a sinner. And they're talking about Jesus here, right? One thing I do know, <laughs> I love this guy. Here's one thing I know. I was blind, but now I can see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you too want to be his disciples? That's why I love this guy, right? <laughs> it's deeply ironic, right? Do you want to follow Jesus too? Then they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple. We're disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born entirely in your sins, and you're trying to teach us, and they drove him out. That's what it sounds like when corrupt power is challenged by goodness and truth. That's what it sounds like. You know what is remarkable to me over the years of coming to this passage over and over again? 
one of the things that's remarkable to me is that they are not genuinely curious. They just, they're not. I mean, you know, how could you not be genuinely curious about the good thing that had happened in your sight? I'm finally watching Ted Lasso which I'm sure will get some eye rolls for various reasons. If you don't like it, I'm sorry. Um, I'm enjoying it so far. First season still, but I have watched, watched the episode where he, uh, he, he wins the bet and defeats the evil Rupert in the game of darts at the pub. And, and he, sa- he says to him, as he's, as, he's, as he's about ready to throw the dart in the bullseye, he says, you know, people have been underestimating me my whole life. It used to bother me. But then I saw this billboard with this quote from Walt Whitman, which, by the way, it's not from Walt Whitman, I found out, which is interesting. Maybe the billboard actually exists, and one of the writers saw it. But anyway, the, the quote is, be curious, be curious and not judgmental. These folks are the opposite, right? <laughs> Well, we're going to start with being judgmental, and if we have any time left in the day, maybe we'll get to be around to be curious. It just, it's just an interesting dynamic to see, you know, how corrupt power plays out in opposition to Jesus. And one of the things it does is it sets Jesus up and makes us understand the uniqueness of the way that he holds power, right? He holds power for the good of others, by definition of who he is. And that's what we see in the interaction when Jesus tracks him down. Jesus tracks this guy down after he's kicked out of the community. Jesus heard that they drove him out, and then he found him. And he said to him, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the formerly blind man says, and who is he, sir? Tell me, so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said to him, you've seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. And then he says to him, to Jesus, he says, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Rowan Williams says of this exchange between Jesus and the formerly blind young man this. Jesus is not asking, as he might of the Loch Ness Monster, whether this man is of the opinion that the Son of Man exists. He wants to know whether the former blind man is ready to trust the Son of Man. And the the formerly blind man believes, he has confidence. That is, he doesn't go off wondering if the Son of Man is out to further his own ends and deceive him. He trusts Jesus to be working for him not for any selfish goals. And he believes what he sees and hears about himself and about the world and about God when Jesus is around. You know, this whole thing about Christianity, man, it is not about an argument. You know, it is about believing that when we're around Jesus... We see the world as it really is, and we're empowered to convey and bring forth Jesus' love into the world. That's what it's all about. Um, So a relationship with the Son of Man is the way 
to a life worth living. And we're using that phrase, life worth living, to try to uh, sum up what it is that John talks about when he talks about life and life in abundance. That's the backdrop of Jesus' teaching, that he is, you can kind of switch the word good, and we don't do it for real because it's not in the Bible, but, but if you think about the context of the Gospel of John, you can kind of switch the word good with trustworthy. Jesus is the trustworthy shepherd. In contrast, in contrast, marked contrast to those who seek after their own interests. And you know, it's not for nothing that the Christ poem that probably is the controlling understanding of how Jesus manifests the character of God in Philippians chapter 2, it's not for nothing that that is all about Jesus put the interests of others above himself. That is the core argument of why God is trustworthy. God is the one being in the universe that exists for the good of others with no conflict, no conflict of interest. That's the good shepherd, and that's why we trust the good shepherd. That's why the good shepherd is in charge. This might be a good moment to pause and ask ourselves a question like this. And I don't mean... um, did you believe in the Son of Man? I think that so many of us, especially if we took communion today, could answer in the affirmative. But I think it's a worthwhile question to say, do, do we, <laughs> on an ongoing basis, a moment-by-moment basis, do we believe in the Son of Man? Do we believe the Son of Man? Do we trust and do we shape our lives in a way that means that when Jesus is around, we believe that he's working for us and desires for us better things than we can desire for ourselves. And then the follow-up question would be, do we put ourselves in the posture where we're asking God to enable us to want the things for us that Jesus wants for us? Do we want the things for us that Jesus wants for us? And what kind of posture would enable us to be in a position or a pattern of life that would enable us to know these things. I would say that a posture like that looks like slowing down, for one thing, and uh, more regularly asking God for wisdom, and to put ourselves on a regular basis in relationships and spaces where we're most likely to hear Jesus speak to us. One of those places is here, right now, okay? One of those places is in the worshiping community. But as it relates to our readings this morning, one of those places is the worshiping community from the book of Acts, showing the whole world what it looks like to live a life worth living in and for community of people, in and for the world. What an amazing snapshot of the church in Jerusalem. People who've come to believe that Jesus of Nazareth, crucified, raised, and ascended, is the Son of Man. What do they do? They exhibit in their community life that the Good Shepherd is indeed present 
leading them into the life worth living, and moreover, enabling them to embody the same self-giving love of the Good Shepherd in relationship to each other. Now, Dan already talked about this, and it's okay if some of it's an echo, but, but here's what it looks like. Deep care for one another and amazing, amazing, astounding generosity. It's impossible for me to, to come to this reading from Acts and not think about the Deacon Fund here at Grace Chicago Church. The Deacon Fund, you know, it gets mentioned in the weekly email. There's a drop-down tab on the giving page where you can give to the Deacon Fund. Uh, but other than that, the de- and other than a once-in-a-while special appeal if it's getting low, the Deacon Fund, f- fund flies very quietly. <laughs> and it has to, because the nature of any request or disbursement is very confidential, and at most, you know, like two people know about it for accountability and logistical purposes. Just because it's a small church, and, and I've been around as long as I, I have, I know of most of those um, interactions. And, wow. Really has been just an amazing um, demonstration of the generosity that you see going on in the book of Acts here. There have been so many needs over the years and as soon as anybody finds out about them, which is so often the case, it's like, you know, no one says, I'm dealing with this terrible thing. It's like somebody finds out they're dealing with this terrible thing and, and then comes on their behalf, and then that's how the whole thing gets started. You know, it is that kind of radical generosity that we see in the book of Acts that is quietly always been a part of the fabric of Grace Chicago Church. And... You know, again, you can't know about this stuff, not really, but you should know about this stuff because it is a, a way of understanding and honoring and celebrating the work of God's Spirit in our midst. Willie Jennings, um, in his commentary on Acts, uh, says of the passage in, um, in Acts that we just read, quote, a new kind of giving is exposed at this moment, one that binds bodies together as the first reciprocal donation where the followers give themselves to one another. And then he goes on to say, and everything else that you see in the passage just flows out of that. This amazing bond that God's people have with each other as illustrated and enacted, celebrated in this table each week. That bond then results in all this other reciprocal generosity back and forth. You know, it's... The world wants to give us a narrative that, you know, uh, our relationships with people should be defined by, mainly by 
ideologies that we have in common, right? Okay, here's an ideology for you. (laughs) Uh, The only one that will ever tell you the truth is Jesus. The only one that will ever tell you the truth all the time is Jesus. I'll put that. The the (laughs) Be backing up because we tell each other the truth all the time, right? Ground zero for, for knowing the truth is to hear it first from Jesus. How about that? And it turns out that when people line up together to be around Jesus because they know that Jesus is a good shepherd, they know that Jesus is utterly trustworthy, it turns out that they not only find themselves belonging in a vibrant relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, sharing the self-giving love of God that's been given back and forth, reciprocal donation back and forth between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the foundation of the world, they find themselves not only belonging to the Trinity, but belonging to each other. And that just ends up being a, a wonderful way to live. And that's what you see in Acts, a wonderful way to live. I was thinking about this passage yesterday as I, uh, I got to pretend that I was directing traffic at the Hunger Walk. They gave me an orange vest. Didn't really fit right, looked funny. Um, and I was out there with other people with orange vests on. And, and there, were th- there were 30 people, by the way, at the Hunger Walk yesterday. And uh, Mary will talk about that later. Thank you so much. What a wonderful way to support Grace. But I was out there, and every once in a while, when I wasn't trying to help somebody cross the street or tell somebody where to park, I'd look back and I'd see the family plex. And I would think to myself, wow, this is what it looks like. And here's again a quote from Willie Jennings about the new community that's being formed in the book of Acts. He says, anything that might be used to bring people into the sight and sound of the incarnate life, Anything that the believers had that might be used to draw people to life together and life itself away from death and the end of the reign of poverty, hunger, and despair, such things were subject to be given to God. I looked back at the family plex and I said, wow, there's an example of God's people giving generously to erect this multi-million dollar building with wonderful programs for kids, for adults, and as a result of their things being given, people are being drawn to life together and life itself, away from death and the end of the reign of poverty, hunger, and despair. And I thought, that's what's happening in the book of Acts. So I got my conclusion from the hunger walk yesterday. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let's respond now as a church by standing and singing together, Jesus, we know your love in this.